Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, the Great Commission. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Thank you very much, Lucy. Well done. And a very good morning, particularly if you're a visitor. It's great to have you joining us here at HTC. Thanks for coming. Um, well done for battling the marathon crowds or traffic and the Extinction Rebellion crowd. Have you noticed? 100 or so tents just over on the common. There's a, they're hoping for 100,000 um, activists this weekend over. Um, um, yeah, it's so important that we care for God's world, isn't it? Anyway, I got chatting. Here he is. This was seven o'clock yesterday morning. I was gawping at these tents. What on earth is going on there? I was just sort of going, hmm. And this guy, uh, Chris, sort of wandered over to me with his cup of tea. Uh, and he started talking to me about the mission of Extinction Rebellion and the, the climate change stats that just sort of came out of him. He knew this, like, boom, 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 boom. He said, come on, get involved. Go, go to this website. Come to our meeting tomorrow, and so on and so on. It was amazing. This great passion for something bigger than himself. And, you know, two things struck me as we were chatting, as the drizzle began to, began to set in. One was this guy, and so many of them, realised that they were part of something bigger than themselves, part of a bigger story. And secondly, they realised they got a part to play in that mission to care for our world. And I thought, hmm... That's, that rings a bell, that strikes a chord with what we're looking at this morning and these three weeks on the Great Commission. If you were here last week, Tim was showing us that great command, invitation, call from the Lord Jesus Christ, the one risen from the grave, now with authority of all heaven and earth. He says to his disciples then and to his disciples now, go, <laughs> go and make disciples. Go, go to Oligale, go to Barclays Bank where you work, go and make disciples there. Louisa with your little rupee boy, go there and make him a disciple. Um, Emily, go to your neighbours in Stockwell and make disciples there. Go, go, go. And I guess we'll have a whole range of responses as we hear that phrase, go. I guess for some of us, well, perhaps we're just looking into the Christian faith and we think, hold on a second, I've not even come, I'm not ready to go. In which case, thank you so much for being here. I hope you, perhaps you can come along to Alpha on Tuesday for our week two. Others of us, well, we're like the London Marathon runners. We're there at the start line. We're ready to go, go, go. Boom, boom, boom. Some of us are like that. But I guess perhaps the majority of us, rather than bouncing on our toes, <laughs> it's much more like we're on the back foot. And we, we perhaps feel a bit burdened, maybe bruised, from past experiences. You've, you've tried to invite someone here or you've tried to say something there and you've got shot down, maybe. Or you dread what HR will say if word gets around the office. Or you just dread that question being asked of you and you don't know the answer. 
I'm just reading this book at the moment, The God Desire, by this um, comedian guy, David someone, and he's basically saying, look, uh, belief in God is just an expression of your own desire. You, you, you're creating him out of your own um, imagination because you've got this urge. If someone said that to you, what would you say? You think, oh, I don't know what I'd say, so I'll just keep my head down beneath the parapet. Or you're aware of your own shortcomings and failings and inconsistencies, and you think, who am I? And the glory of Jesus Christ is that he uses you and me in our weakness, in our fragility, even in our doubting, to still go and be salt and light for him. So there's two things we'll see this morning. Firstly, there's a, a place in his story, our place in his story, to remember. And secondly, there's a part to play in his mission. That's where we're going. And you know, towards the end, if we get there, (laughs) my prayer is that each one of us, each one of us, like a stepping stone, would take the next step. It might be a tiny little step. It might just be a little step, but that's the next stepping stone. For someone else, it might be a huge leap and you're ready to go over here. But each one of us, there's a stepping stone to make. I wonder what it will be for you. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for the risen Lord Jesus. He's with us right now on this day, the Lord of heaven and earth. Please, as we look again at this commission from him, speak to each one of us just where we need it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, firstly then, our place in his story. Stories are great, aren't they? I do hope you like Toy Story. Nearly 20 years ago, that film, Toy Story, came out. And this is what maybe 30 years ago. This is what the um, scriptwriter describes about stories. We all love stories. We're born for them. Stories affirm who we are. We all want affirmations that our lives have meaning. You and I, to be human, it, it's to tell a story. It's to put ourselves in a story. All sorts of stories we live in. I think of my little niece, Izzy, who's eight now, and I went to see her recently, and... Um, She's a bit of a dancer and a bit of an Elsa obsessee. And so we're there in the garden and she puts on her headset like this and it's blaring the Frozen tune. And she can't help but sing along. She can't help but dance that beat. And then by the end of the weekend, actually, it was um, Ed Sheeran. She's, she's growing up fast and she's singing one minute a rescue story, the next a love story. But it was amazing. The moment she put on the song, She starts singing along. She starts dancing to that beat. And we all have a song that we sing to, a beat to which we dance, whether we realise it or not. And the great thing about the Great Commission is that it reminds us implicitly of the great story of God, (laughs) a true love story, the great rescue story. Because look again at it, Matthew 28 The command is to go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. And the Jewish disciples, as they hear that back in the first century AD, that would have immediately rung bells, alarm bells. All nations. Ooh, hold on. Abraham, our great father. And in fact, that's where Matthew's gospel begins. Very first verse. Jesus himself is linked up to this great story from Abraham. And so we're told in Genesis 12, centuries and centuries before, God makes this most wonderful promise 
to Abraham, he says this, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. And all nations on earth will be blessed through you. Amazing. This is our story. This is our song. That's the narrative arc in which we live. So in fact, my fav- one of my favourite authors, Chris Wright, who's at All Souls, he's just published a new book called The Great Story and the Great Commission. And he's got sort of six or seven acts, if you like, for the Bible story, which you and I, if we're believers, are swept up in. So the first one, if you can see that, is creation. The idea that God, Father, Son and Spirit, in love, overflowed in the making of creation and made you and I in his image. And in fact, gave us, if you like, the first great commission to go and rule and steward over his creation, to, to look after things, to bring things into uh, flourishing, order out of chaos, nourishing the world God has made. So in fact, even if we are utterly hopeless at evangelism, which I hope we'll make some progress on today, that doesn't negate that first great commission to, to to go and look after your garden, to do work well, to care for your family. That is great to be human, not just Christian. But then, of course, though made to be vice regents, we want to be regents in God's world. And sin and brokenness enter. The fall happens. And yet then, despite their brokenness, comes a great shining promise from God himself. I will make you a great nation. He chooses Abraham, not because Abraham's anything special, but as he says in Deuteronomy, I love you because I love you. <laughs> that is the free grace of God. It is a loving grace from his heart to us, one direction. And he says to Abraham, I will bless you, and I'm going to create Israel out of you, and you will, you will be a blessing, a light to the nations. Right from the start, Israel wasn't just going to be a holy huddle looking after itself. No, it was to be outward looking, being a blessing to the nations, showing, well, showing the world the beauty of what relationship with God looks like and what society fashioned in his ways can look like. And the promise began and it flowed and flowed like a river until it comes to Jesus Christ, his great descendant. And through Christ, his life, death, and resurrection, if you like, the floodgates are opened to the world. Jew and Gentile, everyone in the world is invited in to this story, this rescue love story. And then we pick up the story there at number five with Matthew 28, on the eve of the birth of the church. The father who has sent the son, well, now the father and the son send the spirit upon the church and the spirit sends the church then and now to go and be disciples and makers of disciples and to go on and on reaching the furthest corners of the world until one day six and seven a final day will come when justice is done wrongs will be righted or as the um, children's storybook bible puts it as we look ahead to our great new hope a, a, a renewed earth that our friends don't yet know about, but invited to be part of from the common there. This is the great hope. He knew the ending of the story was going to be so great, it would make all the sadness and tears and everything seem like just a shadow that is chased away by the morning sun. That is our hope. That is where we're headed. 
That is where everybody's invited a hope in the renewed world. My friend yesterday on the common, he said to me, I said, what's your hope for the future? He said, oh, I hope we can sort things out, but I'm not too hopeful. He said, you know what, civilization, I wrote it, I didn't know what it meant. He wrote, civilization is going to a hell in a handbasket, which I had to Google, I didn't know what that meant. Apparently it means it's all doom and gloom, unless we sort ourselves out climate-wise. But that is not the Christian greatest hope. There's a reality of heaven and hell, but a renewed world that God offers anybody who will come to his son, Jesus Christ. So that's the great story, the ark that we're all invited into, the story that we're part of. That's our story, that is our song. And the great challenge, you know, is that it is a story to which we are called to invite other people into. It's not just for me, not just for you. It is for everybody. What's so challenging about Matthew 28 is how discipleship, it, it, it has to be outward looking. You can't be a disciple and not be a disciple maker. Because look at the logic of Matthew 28. Jesus is saying, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the sons of others, and the sons of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So he's saying to his disciples, go and make disciples, and teach them to command everything I've commanded you. And you've just told them to go. Oh, so they have to go too. Do you see how self-replicating it is? A disciple has to be and is implicitly a disciple maker. And that's where we come in. <laughs> to be a follower of Jesus is inevitably and unavoidably to seek to want to make others disciples of Jesus too. So that is our story, that is our song. And so can I ask the question, I wonder, what is the great soundtrack that you listen to? What's your frozen tune? What's the beat to which you dance? We have all sorts of stories, backtracks that we listen to. It could be stories of the past, you know, that family issue plays on repeat again and again. And that's the dominant theme tune. That might be very real for some of us this morning. Others of us, well, our theme tune, well, it's a future thing. Yeah, when I get there, when we do that, boom. And our song is based on the future, this sort of thing. But the great invitation of Scripture is that we, we have this as our theme tune, as the beat to which we dance. His story to bless all nations. It's amazing. Perspective, isn't it? And we have to again and again put on our headset and listen to his theme tune, not just the ones that come instinctively to us. So, our place in his story. Is that a story you're inhabiting this morning and tomorrow morning as you head off to work or to see the family or to help with the gardening? His story has become our story. But then secondly, of course, well, we're invited to partner in that story, partner in that mission. And like that friend I made yesterday, lovely, gentle, warm guy, grandfather from, I don't know, out London somewhere. What was so amazing and what was just so challenging to me was... He couldn't help but instinctively invite me in. 
to this story that he was part of. He said, yeah, look at this website, Carbon Print or something. <laughs> he said, yeah, come to this meeting. And actually, you know what? I told him I worked here. He said, yeah, we'll, we'll send you a speaker. <laughs> he can come and talk to you about climate change. All sorts of ways. He instinctively wanted me to be involved in that story. And so too with us. The great prayer is that as we grow in Christ, is we instinctively want others to be drawn in, in a sort of unembarrassed, unselfconscious, just natural way with our particular temperament and personality. That's healthy disciple making. And I should say, before we look at three C's, I've actually got eight C's, but I think we'll go for three. There'll be all sorts of ways that you and I are doing this right now without us even being aware of it for your encouragement. This isn't just a sort of, you know, I'm going to do that. You, all sorts of ways. Even just by being here today, do you know you are bearing witness to the world, to the living God? The New Testament expects uh, non-Christians, those who aren't yet believers, to walk into Christian gatherings and to see what is going on. Think, what is going on here? That's an expectation in the New Testament. And us being here today is part of that. It's why it's so important to gather in person week after week. So we, we, we bear witness to Christ in our gathered worship. We bear witness to him in our giving. You sign on that form, you give that dosh. That is serving his mission. We do it by our praying together and on our own. We are serving his mission, longing that what God alone can do, does. We do it in our midweek ministries, our youth work, our, our sort of social action projects, whether that's breakfast club or kids work or whatever it might be. We do it with our mission partners that we support, reaching the furthest corners of the world, Burundi, this morning, with Christ. So we've, we are involved just by being part of HCC. But what I'd love us to think about just for a few minutes before we close is... is Okay, that's us as a corporate church family. But what about little old me and little old you on the mission field that God has put me in? Well, how do I do that? <laughs> and I'd love to hear from you. You'll have far more wisdom than I. But here's three C's that I think are included, implicit in our Matthew 28 commission. The first is this. Character. <laughs> These disciples, you see, they, they stay disciples you don't become a disciple and then progress and graduate to be the, the don. No, to be a disciple is to be a, a constant follower, a constant learner, where the L plates never get thrown off and you stick on the past plates. No, every day is another day for you and I to sit at the feet of Jesus, to learn from him. But more than that, to become like him. There's something not just to believe, but to do. We're told that. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. To do, obey. The Christian life is, is about being formed so that my whole life is changed by him. Which will include our character slowly but surely. You know, the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. Gosh, those are rare commodities in our world as a package deal and they are beautiful to behold and you and I as we grow in those things they, they adorn the gospel as Titus puts it they show off Christ to the world because we're beginning to resemble him so I wonder 
if you asked yourself, or perhaps more importantly, you asked a friend or a family member, which part of your character sort of needs a bit more sort of, you know, rubbing down or a bit of a work from the Lord's grace or whatever it might be? And which part of your character shines so brightest for Christ? Maybe chat about that over coffee. Encourage one another. Because character, people will read our lives long before, I don't know, they read the Bible with us or come to church. Do we glow like Moses did, having seen the Lord? Character. Character counts, doesn't it? Not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. But then inevitably that will lead to what I've put there, conversation. Conversation. Because we do have a story to share, a message to be heard. Someone once said, share the gospel, use words if necessary. Well, I think Jesus and the disciples would say, well, no, the gospel is a message, a truth to be taught, to be shared, a reality about Jesus Christ that needs to be heard and believed and received, which will involve conversation, discussion. And can I just say a word to the parents amongst us here this morning? To be honest, hats off to you. I don't know how you do it. No sleep, running around the place all the time. But what an amazing privilege you have, really, to be the primary ways in the church, in the context of the local church, in which you show your kids, your grandkids, Jesus Christ. That is, I suppose, one of your primary mission fields. I love in Deuteronomy that picture of as you walk along the roads, talk about the Lord's word, when you go to bed, when you wake up in the morning, talk about them when you sit home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, impress them upon your children. And so, I'm just an uncle, so I, you know, I don't know what this is like firsthand, but I've seen my sister do it, and it is a labor of love. And your kids won't thank you when you're a pastor all over the place and you're just trying to have 30 seconds talking about Jesus from the Bible. And there's tomatoes, you know, and that's just my sister and her husband. But they won't thank you in the moment. Well, in fact, sometimes they do. In fact, look at this poster for Macaulay School. This is what our young, uh, some of our team go into Macaulay School. And they wrote these thank you letters at Easter. Thank you for teaching children about Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Then that one on the left, I can't actually read it. In fact, you the spelling's all over the place. But it basically says, thank you. You're amazing. You've told us about Jesus. And your kids, your grandkids, are probably unlikely to say, oh, Dad, thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for... Thanks for teaching me about Jesus today. But maybe in five, 10, 20 years' time, by the Lord's grace, they will. They'll say, Thank you so much. So please, I implore you, if you've not got one of these, by the way, get well, get one. I'm sure we sell them somewhere. Um, to keep going in that discipling of your kids. But the rest of us, in our workplaces with our friends, down the pub, what does it look like to take that step, that step on the stepping stone? Do I do it? What do I say? Even getting that word church out of your lips sometimes is hard enough, let alone the word Jesus. What on earth do you do with that fear, that anxiety? Well, we could have arrows on that. <laughs> but can I just suggest one thing? And Jesus was the master of this. It was very simply asking questions. Do you remember in John 4, there's a lady at the well, and the first thing Jesus says is, what do you want? And from that one open question comes this amazing dialogue where hearts are shared. And eventually, 
Her eyes are opened. Her heart softened to who the Messiah was. And then she runs back to the village and tells everyone else. And all that began from a question. So can I encourage you to, to get into the habit, not in a sort of annoying inquisitive, inquisition way, but in a genuine, interested, loving, careful way, asking your mates about all sorts of things, about what they think about politics, creation, the world, extinction, rebellion, and they get, you know, the circles get a bit more closer and closer as you sort of spiral in on something a bit more specific on, okay, and how about family life? How's that going? And what's your hope for the family? And um, what's your greatest hope in life? And what, what do you think you'll do if you, if you, if you don't get that? And, and so on and so on. And as you do that, you're also sharing of yourself. It's not just a one-way thing. I'm the disciple, you're the disciple. No, this is a mutual sharing of vulnerability. Why should I expect someone else to be open if I'm not being open? Because it's there, as the door is opened, so often Jesus Christ can walk through as we then pluck up the courage to, to say, Jesus, <laughs> it comes out of our lips. Conversation. It's, a, it's, a, it's an art, not a science, isn't it? And I'm sure we can learn from one another about how to engage with that. But then finally and thirdly, just the last couple of moments, I wish we had longer on this, but confidence. Where is our confidence in all this? It's not in our great intellect, our great charm, our great dress sense. <laughs> it is, well, it's in the Lord Jesus to call his sheep to himself and especially as Jesus uses his word as a spirit, takes his living word into people's lives. And we have all sorts of ways in which that word gets into people's lives. Alpha, Sunday by Sunday, um, uh, online stuff, are praying for them, are inviting to kids' groups. There's always something from Scripture there. But here's the challenge. This is the great challenge I'd love to close with, is this. What would it look like for you to say to a friend, not just we'd like to come to church, but do you fancy, you know what, do you fancy having a little look at the, best, the most best-selling book in the whole world? Do you fancy a little bit of looking at Jesus' life, just over coffee? There's something that really I want to really share with you. Or I'd love your thoughts about this. Or um, whatever way you want to phrase it. Because there is something so powerful. <laughs> this book that the Spirit has caused to be written is the very same living book that the Spirit uses to open our eyes to Christ. And the great excitement is when you sit down with a friend, shaking, nervous, maybe, hopefully not, anything, and you ask three questions. Any thought? You read a chunk, whatever it is, in the Gospel. I bet you think they'll like. What do you think? Any thoughts? Number two, what do we make of Jesus there? And number three, I wonder what difference that would make if I believed that. And we're letting the scripture do the teaching. It's not me teaching someone. We're letting the scripture do the teaching. Um, and we're seeing what it does over the long haul. That, that will energize you. I tell you, you think, most of us think, what? No way. No, not, I'm not far in a friendship to do that. And maybe you're not. But I dare you. It is so empowering to your own Christian life to be a disciple is to be a disciple maker and to open up the scriptures to let the Lord minister to you and to your friend is such a special thing. 
I would love to tell you a story <laughs> about how I did that in my firm, but I don't think I will, because have I got time, JG? Um, this is, oh, uh, it's, <laughs> shall I, shall I say how I've, it'll be, yeah, okay, I'll very quickly, just, just to give you an example of how I've done it, and this might be very different for you, but very quickly, uh, at my old law firm, I said to my colleague Harmindi, who was our clerk, he just had a football match, he had a, he had a metal ring around his, a, a bracelet around his uh, wrist, and he's a Sikh guy. I said, why have you got that? It's one piece of metal. He said, oh, it's, it, it's um, because of my faith. It reminds me that life is circular, you know, reincarnation. I was like, oh, right, why do you believe in that? He said, hmm, don't know, I just do. Uh, I asked, what does your faith mean to you, Harminder? He said, he sort of scratched his beard. He said, hmm, no one's ever asked me that. I don't know. <laughs> And then we got chatting, you know, sweating buckets after football, and, and he, we started comparing how different resurrection is to reincarnation. I said, I mean, do you fancy, why don't we look at the Easter, it was near Easter, do you fancy looking at the Easter story, you know, see about the resurrection? He's like, yeah, right. So we did a couple of days later. And from that lunchtime meeting, for three years at my office, we all, <laughs> it was amazing. I'd get a bottle or two or three or sometimes a wine, and these legal aid lawyers, we'd toddle up the stairs, word got round, six, seven, eight, sometimes nine colleagues would come and sit in this little ballroom with chairs with a bottle of wine. We spent two years looking at the book of Luke and one year looking at John. And literally, all I would do, I'd read a chunk and I'd ask a couple of questions, and it was a free-for-all. We would talk about Trump, we would talk about climate, all over the shop, but the scriptures were open. And if that is what God can do in a bunch of legal aid lefties, I wonder what he could do where he's placed you. You know, it got to the point where Zach, my clerk, another clerk, came into my office doing this. I was like, what are you doing, Zach? He said, yeah, I've caught another one. Caroline, she's coming tonight. I, by the end of it, I thought, oh, please, can we have a break? I can't be bothered. But it's like a book club, but it is a book like no other. And so please, I dare you, please make that the dream. You take that step, whatever step it might be, but make that the great stepping stone to aim for. You can do it in his grace. You can. Because through it, He's reaching the world.